Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. And they spit on him. And they took a reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put on his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. That is the word of God. You may be seated. The story goes on that they find a man to carry Jesus' cross up the hill of Golgotha. And as he makes it up there, finally after being worn down, keep going in Matthew chapter 27, we learn that people mocked him, they ridiculed him, they spat at him, they put a sign above his head, listing his charges, saying that he is the king of the Jews. Robbers were crucified on the right hand and on the left hand of him, and they knew that they deserved to be there. They were making fun of him, saying, if you really are the son of God, you could come off of that cross right now, so prove that you're God's son by coming off the cross and They didn't realize that he was God's son by staying on the cross. They laughed at him and they said, he saved others. This guy can't even save himself. Look at him. A king dying like a weak person. In verse 45, it says that from the sixth hour, 12 o'clock noon, the highest point of the day, until three o'clock, pardon me, the sixth hour until the ninth hour, complete darkness over the land the lights went out something happened where does light come from very beginning god said let there be light there's a moment at the cross where the lights go out on this world and jesus cries out eli eli lama sabachthani which means my god my god the first time he has never called he didn't call him father he said my god my god why have you forsaken me Some of the bystanders heard that, and they thought, well, maybe this guy's calling for Elijah, some prophet to come help him. And they filled up a sponge of sour wine, and they put it on a reed, and they gave it to him to drink. And the others said, wait, let's see if Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice in verse 50. says he yielded up his spirit. He died. But the story isn't over with Jesus dying. Look in verse 51. Some big things happen. The biggest is this. The curtain in the temple was torn in two. And there's an important detail Matthew wants you to know. So let me tell you about this curtain. This curtain separated um, basically the common area from the holiest of areas. The curtain separated the place where people could be and where God existed, the holy of holies where only one man, the high priest, could go in one time a year under the special conditions that God had articulated for him to go in. And when he went in, he would wear bells on his robe so that they knew that if he wasn't prepared properly to be in the presence of God and the bells stopped ringing, they knew he was dead and they would drag him out, tied on a rope. They would drag him out because no one could go in there to be in the presence of God. And in this moment that Jesus died... That curtain that separated humanity from God was torn in half. But do you notice something very interesting about the detail in verse 51 about how it was torn? It was torn 
not from the bottom to the top like we would do as humans. If we were going to cut this, because this thing was really tall. Picture this whole area here is probably tall as this ceiling. If you and I were going to cut it, we would get a knife and go in the bottom and slice it, and two people would grab it, and we would start pulling away from each other, right? From the bottom to the top, we would tear that curtain apart. But Matthew says this curtain was torn from the top to the bottom, meaning no person tore that curtain. God himself did. And Jesus in that moment was tearing down the separation that existed between us and God since the moment sin entered the world. The question I have for this story always is this. Why? I mean, if God's God, this whole thing's His, right? Put it together, wired it, created us, figured this thing out. Why did He have to go this route to make things right again? Because the way the world is now with sin in the world, that's not the way that God wants it to be. He didn't design it this way. He didn't create it to work this way. Our bodies were not created to decay and die. We weren't um, created to experience life in evil with suffering and misery. It's not how it was supposed to be. So why this event to make all of this right again eventually someday? Why? Well, sometime later, Paul in Romans chapter 3 tells you why. It tells you why. In Romans chapter 3, it says, All have sinned, verse 23, and fallen short of the glory of who God is. And here's what he says in response to those, to all of us being sinners. He says, And all can be justified by his grace, meaning unmerited gift, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation by his blood. Pause, fancy Bible word propitiation just means the proper sacrifice to take care of the problem. So propitiation is a word you would say, hey, I need a five-eighths wrench. Propitiation would be a five-eighths wrench. That makes sense? So Jesus is the propitiation, the proper fitting sacrifice for what we need. And here's what he says in verse 25, whom God put forward, we can have redemption which is a relationship word to be restored back to God through Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as the proper sacrifice by his blood for us to receive that by faith. Why all this, though? Here's how he explains it in verse 25. This was to show God's righteousness. That God always does what is right. Why the cross? Why all the suffering, the torment, the, the, the beating, the cruel treatment? Why the cross? Because God was demonstrating that he always does what is right. And what do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. At the cross of Jesus Christ, in the same moment God was just in punishing sin and merciful in forgiving sinners in the very same act. You see, if God did this the way that you and I would probably do it, we would either lower our standards or sweep things under the rug, right? Guys, I don't like the way that this works. Um, here's how I designed the world. I wish it was going this way. I know you messed up. Come on, let's just try again. Let's restart, okay? Forget about it. That's probably how we would have tried to figure this out, right? Or we would have maybe bought some self-help books or give some good pep talk, call Tony Robbins, ask him to cut the cuss words out, and we could probably figure this thing out. But God said, no, he is just 
meaning all the sin in the world, all the wrongs that have been done, all the hurts that you've experienced, all the things that should not have happened have been actually paid for, actually punished at the cross. And in the very same moment, those people who have done those things, you and I, can be forgiven of what we've done. All of that culminates at the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why he says that you can have redemption being restored back to the person you were supposed to be, reconciled to the relationship you were meant to have with God, your Father, through Jesus. You can have all of that in Jesus Christ. Listen to the way he says this. Because in his divine forbearance, meaning God was patient, he passed over sins in the past. Old Testament, all up before Jesus. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, does the right thing, and the justifier, the one who fixes it, of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what it all boils down to. Do you believe that you were designed and created on purpose from a maker who made this world? Do you believe the way that we live now in evil and suffering is the way it's supposed to be? If you don't, and you believe that you're created to be here on purpose, God made a way for you to be reconciled to him and restored to who you're supposed to be. And that's through Jesus Christ alone. That's why he says to all those who will finally trust Jesus. And what it means to trust Jesus is this, that you lay down every ounce of your pride that says, I can figure it out, I can fix me, I just got to buy a new self-help book and it'll all be okay. And you go, Jesus, I need you for forgiveness of what I've done wrong, for healing for what's been done wrong to me, for the love and acceptance that I've always longed for, that I've looked for in other people and other places, to finally get from you, as Song of Solomon says in chapter 3, verse 4, I have finally found the one my soul loves. I finally found it. It's in Jesus Christ. And if he isn't the one that you have found yet, if he isn't the one that you've really made sense of, if the cross and the work at the cross hasn't really connected for you yet, look seriously at it. Look at his suffering, look at his endurance, look at the torture that he went through and the sacrifice he made and let that be the greatest demonstration of how far God is willing to go for you. And as you see that, your heart begins to melt and your loves for all other things in this world start to turn towards the love God has for you because when you love God most, you'll love everything else right. But until you love God most, you won't love anything else right. Find that love in Jesus Christ. If we can help you do that, come while we sing this song with Clay. Let's stand together and let's sing.